Um, John chapter 16. Make sure my phone's turned off. Uh, let's start off with a prayer. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We are grateful for your word and the, uh, thankful for this place that you've given us to gather and sit at your feet and look to your word and receive wisdom and instruction and, and inspiration for our lives, Lord. Uh, give us a desire um, to live a life that is pleasing to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. When the servant of the famous composer Handel used to bring him his chocolate in the morning, he often stood silent with astonishment to see his master's tears mixing in with the ink as he penned his compositions. And it is related that a friend calling upon the great musician when in the act of composing those pathetic words, he was despised and rejected of men. From Isaiah 53.3, found him absolutely sobbing. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised. And rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from his prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin... He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death. 
and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercessions for the transgressors. Isaiah chapter 53. Now starting in chapter 16 and verse 1, follow along here, the first 15 verses. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus said, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? Because, but because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but can, you cannot bear them now. However... When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Verse 1 here, Jesus is equipping his disciples. He's letting them know that trouble is coming. He's letting us know that trouble's a coming. That word stumble there in the Greek is skandalizo. We get our word scandalized from it. It means to trip up, to entrap, entice to sin, to offend. Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Verse 2, Jesus lets these guys know that persecution is coming. You're going to be kicked out of the church. Synagogue for the, for the Jew. For the Jew to be kicked out of the synagogue was not only a social death sentence, it was also a spiritual death sentence. To the Jew, their status within their religion was directly linked to their social status. If kicked out of the synagogue, they would be disowned by their family and friends. It's interesting. I know folks who don't fellowship anymore at this church anymore, either because they have elected to maybe attend another church in the area, or I know some folks who have been asked to leave for various reasons. But it's funny how what I notice about maybe someone who hasn't moved where they live, they still live in the same place, they still live right down the street, 
but they don't fellowship here anymore. They're fellowshipping at another church. It's, it's almost as, as though the whole relationship has just been shut off. Interesting. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Uh, go, go say 12 Hail Marys and um, yeah, whatever the rest of the stuff is. The, the rosary, right? 13 rosaries and crawl on your knees for two miles and, and then you'll, you'll be good. Where do you find that? Where is that? I read the whole thing a few times. Ain't never once seen it in there. Mary, in Luke chapter 2, said, I need a Savior. And, and Mary had babies after Jesus. I know I'm picking on the Catholic religion, but it's, it's kind of up front and center. So religion is man's attempt to reach God. It's like I tell my kids, you know, I, I, just because you have a Bible and because we, because we engraved your name on it and because you can quote scriptures, for God so loved the world that he gave, gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would not believe in him would have ever, not perish but have everlasting life. And you can just repeat from memorization scripture. And you give you give your some of your money into the offering, and you take out the trash and you wash the dishes, and you're you're good. None of that saves you. None of it. Christianity is God's attempt to reach man. James writes in chapter 1, verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep one's self unspotted from the world. Keep oneself unspotted from the world. Boy, that's a pretty general and broad statement. But that sort of covers it all, don't it? When Stephen was killed in Acts chapter 7, Saul was consenting to his death. It says they're going to put, here in, in verse 2, they're going to put you out of the synagogues. And yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you, wait a minute, time out, Jesus. Whoever kills you, What does that mean? That someone's going to kill me? Quite possibly. And when they do that, they will think that they offer God service. I mean, there's guys all over the place strapping bombs to their backpack and walking into a store and detonating it. They think they're going to heaven. Saul was convinced 
that he was doing God's service. This guy said, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I followed every single rule. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. I punished them often in every synagogue, and I compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even into foreign cities. This guy was the greatest missionary on the planet Earth. Before that, he was the greatest bounty hunter. Man, if Paul could be saved, if Saul, before, before he was changed, his name was changed to Paul, if that guy can be saved, anyone can be saved. The darkness of this world does not want to subordinate to the light of the gospel of peace. The darkness of this world refuses to concede to the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. The darkness is pushing in against the light. But the light overcomes the darkness. As I was jotting these notes down, I was reminded of a time when I was uh, right around 10 or 11 years old and my grandparents had taken us cross-country in, uh, in my grandpa's GMC pickup, pulling a 25-foot ideal camping trailer. And boy, would I love to take that trip again. I mean, we, we hit every state in the Union. And we spent some time um, in the Dakotas around Mount Rushmore and the, seeing the carvings of the presidents on Mount Rushmore. But what we didn't know before we got there was that Mount Rushmore had some, some pretty large caves some caverns that you could tour. And, and I remember going into these, you know, down these tunnels and, and, and underground, and it was, you know, these lighted pathways, and you could see all the stalactites and all the stalagmites, and it was just incredible, you know, pink and marble and wet and dark in there. And we got into this one room, and, and I, you know, it was, it was so long ago. I want to say there was probably about 15 or 20 of us in this group that were, were down in this cavern, and the tour guide says, all right, now everyone kind of spread out a little bit here and, and get your footing. You know, get, make sure you're on flat ground. And I'm holding on to my grandpa like, hey, whoa, whoa, what's going on? He, and so he's telling us, I'm, we're going to turn off the lights. So he kind of walked us through it and he goes, okay, here we go. And he flicked off the lights in the cave. And he said, all right, hold your hand up in front of your face. We couldn't even see. It was so dark in there. There was such an absence of light. You, can't, you couldn't even see your hand that close to your face. And I suddenly realized as a kid that, wow, I've, I've never experienced this degree of darkness, to my knowledge. And he says, all right, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strike a match. And so he took out a book of matches and he, he struck a single match. And held it up. 
And that single match lit up the room, the tunnel, the next tunnel. I mean, it was, it, it was mind-blowing how that one single match illuminated that entire cave. Just the smallest amount of light literally kicked the darkness out. The darkness could not remain. And so I think about that very often because Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And right now the darkness is pushing in. It's, it's, it's on the outer edges of the light and it's just, it's just waiting for the light to go off. And as soon as the light goes off, the darkness just floods in. It refuses, the darkness refuses to concede to the love of Christ. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, verse 3, Jesus here explains the reason for the persecution. This is because they don't know the Father or the Son. On November 20th, 1996, at 8.15 p.m., in the orchestra pit of the Universal Amphitheater is where I stood. And it was there that I decided to ask Jesus to be the Savior of my soul. And it was then that the Lord wrote my name in His book of life. And then He sealed me with his Holy Spirit. It was then that I began to understand God's word. It was then that I began to know the Father and to know his son Jesus. You and I were saved for one singular reason. We were bought at a price for one reason and one reason alone, to spread the gospel. Period. If you're saved and you are not shining the light of Christ and spreading his gospel, you're blowing it. I'm blowing it. By the way, I blow it every day. I let opportunities go all the time. I act like an idiot most of the time. As always, this, these notes, this is God speaking to me. This stuff is for me. I, I don't crank out these notes and go, oh yeah, this is, this is going to be good for that guy. And no, th- this is the Lord speaking to me. Spreading the gospel, whether sharing his word or living the word. The only gospel that some folks will even hear is when they observe how I live my daily life. Hey, I notice, I notice that guy is not using four-letter words when everybody else is. I notice that guy... Shows up to work on time every day. I notice that guy doesn't post a bunch of garbage on his uh, webpage or whatever, his Facebook. They, they are observing us. 
And then, and then when tragedy strikes, boy, then they're really looking at us like, oh, how's, how, is, how is she, how is he going to react to this one? We're to be servants waiting hand and foot on the Lord. We've been saved to be servants waiting on the Lord hand and foot. Bond servants, slaves, slaves by choice. Paul writes, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Well, wait, my body and my spirit? That's right. All of me. I belong to him. Now, verse 4, Jesus predicts the future for his disciples. This is the future of any person who decides to follow Jesus. These things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. If I have told you the truth and live my, if I hold to the truth and live my life in a godly manner, I will be rejected by this world. Take a look around. Rejection of God is in full swing. Our republic is corrupt to the core. This ain't a democracy. The United States of America is a republic. And it's corrupt. The boys use the girls' restroom. The girls use the boys' restroom. We murder thousands of unborn babies every year in the name of choice. We legalize narcotics. We perpetuate pornography. We allow men to marry men and women to marry women. We take from the hardworking and we give to the sluggard. We are a free society that is running as fast as we can right back to slavery. These things are a result of modern man's spiritual condition. And while the world is growing more corrupt each day, the darkness grows over the land, and those of us who stand for the truth of God's word are simply going to be rejected, kicked out, and killed, according to verse 2. That's what it says. See, I've, I happen to believe every single word. Titus chapter 1, verse 2 said that God cannot lie. Otherwise, he couldn't be God. So if Jesus here is letting me know, now, now he's speaking to the disciples, right? They're, they're, these are Jewish guys that have been converted to Christians. We can apply what he is saying to our lives. It's not a stretch. Who was here when the, the brother from um, Iran, he's from the Elam Ministries, when Andrew was here and, and, and he brought, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was imprisoned in a, in a room that was like four by six. Who was here for that? Oh my goodness. That guy put me to shame. That guy's walk with the Lord and his boldness and his testimony and his relationship with, the God, with God put, put me to shame. Here in, in America, what does Xavier call it? Spiritual Disneyland. 
For you have been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Thank you. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus said it. Paul said it. This world, is ba- as bad as it is right now, is like Disneyland compared to what it's going to be. Think about that. This world is good right now compared to what it's going to be pretty soon. When the church is removed, there will no longer be a restraint on evil. When the lights are turned off, the darkness will engulf this world. Imagine that. God's going to take his church out of here someday. Sorry, Pete, I wish it was today. Uh, I'm one of them guys. Let's go, man. No, it's, it's cool. I, I know what you're saying. It's, life is, we're enjoying life, man. But, man, there ain't nothing here that's remotely worth sticking around for if we're comparing it to heaven. The book of Revelation goes into the great detail about the spiritual condition of, the, of this world post-rapture. If you haven't read the book of Revelation, check it out. Under God's judgment, the people of the earth are likened to grapes being crushed in a press until their blood spills out. And it refers to the battle of Armageddon and the valley of Megiddo. There's going to be so much bloodshed that that valley is going to be filled with blood to the horse's bridle. Five feet deep. I visited that site in 1998. It was a, it was a really neat trip. Uh, I went for a couple of weeks with the church back in 1998. And they, they took us up on Mount Carmel, you know, where, where Elijah took out the prophets of Baal. And we looked across the Valley of Megiddo, to the other side. And, and our tour guide said, okay, this is, this is the Valley of Armageddon. And, you know, I forget how many miles it was. It seven miles across and, you know, 15 miles long. And, I mean, how much blood to fill the valley? Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of human bodies crushed. Revelation refers to it as the grapes of wrath, just crushed. But for now, many Christians are simply beaten and imprisoned and killed. And we're still in the church age. The church is still here. That's when I think about the believers in China and the believers in, in Iran, the believers in Somalia. Dragged out of their house and laid on the ground and shot in the back of the head. By guys wearing black hoods. Today. That's happening right now. Verse 5, Jesus is leaving the earth. He's going back to God. He's going home. By the way, he's going to my home too. His home is my home. And my home is your home. John 17, 5, now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Just as the earth was not Jesus' home, neither is it our home. 
Uh, Paul writes in Hebrews eleven thirteen: These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We are strangers on this earth. We are pilgrims. We're just passing through, fellas. This ain't our home. We ought to quit trying to get so darn comfortable around here. Our bodies are temporary, for we know that our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Peter writes, yes, I think it is right as long as that I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. I think about heaven quite often. It's kind of one of my things, you know, heaven. After all, it is my hope. Crackling? No? Okay. That's my head. (laughs) I know, I love knowing that God personally wrote my name in his book of life according to Revelation 20 12. I mean, I think about that. I share that with the kids. This this past weekend, I had I had four kids approach me and say, Hey, I want I want to be saved. Ten-year-old kids. That's not me. It's not because of me. Are you kidding? That is not me. And I prayed with these little brothers and sisters. And the first thing I told them when we were done, I looked them in the eye and I said, you just got your name written in the book of life. And I told them, mine's in there too. And it just blew their mind. Wow, really? The book of life. God personally wrote my name in there. I love that God calls my place in heaven an incorruptible inheritance. You know, where I live, we have an alarm system and a few loaded guns and we, you know, we, we're going to protect the place, right? Because there's thieves and losers and bad guys. And they want my stuff. Not in heaven. Even if I live to be 110 years old, ain't nobody going to take my stuff in heaven. They're not taking my spot. They're not taking my place. God has it in heaven reserved for me, incorruptible. It'll, it'll, it's... There ain't even going to be no rust on it. I love that. I rest in that. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved away in heaven for you, 1 Peter 1, 4. I think about Jesus and being forever by his side, according to verse, chapter 14, verse 3 here of John. Wherever Jesus is, I'm going to be. He is the reward. I always get a laugh because Xavier says, if Jesus is in hell, that's where I want to be. And on the surface, you're like, wow, wait, 
well, yeah, I, I guess so. I, if Jesus is there, I guess it's okay to be with Jesus, right? The devil don't run hell. Jesus does. It's a trip, huh? <laughs> I think about my mansion. Just saying, fellas, it's in there. Chapter 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. And I'm going away to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also, because I'm coming back for you. Whoa, okay, Lord, you, you have a mansion for me? It's what it says. And it's nothing like what we imagine a mansion to be. There's no way we can imagine what this thing is. But I doubt it has four walls and a roof. I think about the fact that there's no more sin in heaven. No more sin. No more sin nature. God's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain for the former things have passed away. One of these kids this past weekend, he goes, he goes, um, yeah, I know what it says about not being sad in heaven. He goes, but like, what if, what if my brother doesn't make it to heaven and I make it to heaven? How can I not be sad about that? Try and answer that one for a 10-year-old. And my answer was, I believe that you are going to recognize that the judgment that Jesus passed on your brother was absolutely perfect and right and just, and it was deserved. And that's going to make it okay for you. I don't know how else to think about it. I love that I will rule and reign as a king and a priest with him, unto him, according to Revelation 1.6 and 5.10. I think about streets of gold. Revelation 21.18. I think about the river of life that proceeds from the throne of God, according to Revelation 22.1. I think about the tree of life that I'm going to eat from. In Revelation 22, too, you guys, I mean, you guys all realize this stuff, right? I like thinking about the fact that I'm going to shine like the sun. I'm going to shine like a star. Because in heaven, there is no moon, there is no sun, because God and the Lamb are the light thereof. And when I see him, I will be like him. When you see him, you will be like him. Heck, he walked past Moses, covered Moses in the rock, and then Moses, they couldn't even, they had to bag Moses. They couldn't even look at him. His head was shining so bright. We're going to be like stars, like Alpha Centauri. Anybody else tripping out on that? Okay. Guess not. I think about meeting my Bible heroes, David. One of my favorite parts in the whole Bible is when he stood on Goliath's back and pulled out his sword and cut off the man's head. I just like that. I think about meeting my loved ones in heaven. My believing loved one. I'm going to see 
My grandma. The one who took me to Mount Rushmore Caves. The one that said, boy, you better read your Bible. The one who had a gun pointed at me a couple of times because I was sneaking in the back door. (laughs) Man, I hit the deck. I unloaded, she kept, my grandma would sleep with a gun on her bed. Loaded, loaded pistol on the bed. I'm in possession of that, that handgun now. I, I inherited it. But after the first time, I remember sneaking into her room when she was in the kitchen, and I, and I unloaded it, took all the bullets out of it. It was a 10-round magazine. Put it all back together and laid it on the bed. So the second time I was looking down the barrel of that thing, I pretended like I was really scared. I kind of quit sneaking in the back door after that, too. Uh, But she came to me about a month later, mad. Where's my bullets? She did an ammo check. (laughs) Lily, when we were dating, she's she's got a grandma gun story, too. You should ask her about that sometime. She was, she was tough, but man, she loved God. Where was I? I think about meeting my two children that died in the womb before they could be born. Then they had a couple of miscarriages. Them kids are locked away safe in heaven i got two more on this earth and a wife that I've got to get off this planet and and get secured away in heaven. That's my secondary goal. Get my family to heaven. As beautiful as Donner Pass is, and I was just there last week. I was in Northern California, and I was had to drive from California over to Reno, and I was driving through Donner Pass, and I'm everywhere. When I'm out in the woods, I'm always scouting deer. Like, oh, this is a good deer spot. And just, I mean, if, if you've ever been up through Donner Pass, it's incredible. It is just, it's the woods, it's the rivers, it's the rocks, the boulders. I know Pete just came back from Yosemite. I, you know, that's, that's an amazing place. It's, 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 it's away from the city. It's away from the suburbs. There's no concrete. There's no, no parking meters. There's no office buildings. Trees and animals and rivers and rocks and and land, nature. But as beautiful as, as that is, it's a garbage heap compared to heaven. And these these items that I've mentioned, this is just scratching the surface. Our minds are not capable of imagining the actual reality of heaven. Paul said that we see dimly. Paul, uh, he was killed and taken to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12. Remember, they stoned him to death. He said, man, I don't know if, if I was in the body or out of the body. I don't know. All I know, I was caught up into the third heaven. And then he was revived back to life on earth. And he said that what he saw was absolutely indescribable. There were no human words to describe the things that he saw. And to, to attempt to do so would be unlawful. 
Verse 6, Jesus here holds up a mirror. The purpose of the mirror is to reflect my current condition. What does verse 6 say? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. He, he, he turns around and tells the guys, you guys are sorrowful. Shows it to him. Jesus doesn't want his friends to be sorrowful. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her time has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, now you have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. And your joy, no one will take from you. Notice he doesn't say your happiness, no one will take from you. He says your joy, no one will take. Jesus wants joy for his friends. We grieve over the condition of this world, do we not? I do. But we know that it's temporary and that paradise is coming soon. This allows us to have joy. Do not mistake joy for happiness. Happiness is an ever-changing emotion. Joy is unchanging. It is anchored in God's word. That's the difference. I can have joy in the midst of a tragedy. Now, it's really easy for me to say it right now because I'm standing here all happy. But I can truly have joy in the midst of a tragedy. Because circumstances do not dictate where my soul is anchored. Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus said, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He's going to say that to us. Verse 7, Jesus explains the situation in order to help his disciples understand and to be able to look beyond the immediate circumstance of his departure, but rather to the future joy of his kingdom. It is actually advantageous for Jesus to go back to heaven because as long as he's on earth, the Holy Spirit cannot come. Jesus is a man that can only be in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit, however, can be everywhere at the same time. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit here as the helper. The old King James calls him the comforter. In the Greek, the word is the parakaletos, an intercessor, an advocate, comforter. We get our word paramedic, paralegal, parachute, to come alongside. So so the Holy Spirit is going to come alongside of us and assist us. Think about how the Holy Spirit operates. He's able to operate in the lives of 7 billion people on all four corners of the earth at the same time. Jesus couldn't do that. If he was on the Mount of Olives, all he could deal with was the folks in front of him. Wouldn't it be a real bummer if uh, a, a, a woman in China was busy praying and I needed to pray? And, and I got like a, a busy signal or something. Or take a number. It's incredible. 
something key here. The Holy Spirit never, and I say never, draws attention to himself. He always points to Jesus. Jesus said he will testify of me in John 15, 26. Jesus always points to the Father. The Father always points to the Son. The Holy Spirit always points to the Son. Verse 8, Jesus begins to explain the function of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Genesis 1.1, we have God in the beginning. God created. That word is Elohim in the Hebrew. It's a tri-compound unity. In Matthew 3.16-17, uh, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my Son, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Here we have all three persons of the Godhead appearing in the same scene. The Trinity. The Son, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All there. Jesus uh, explains in this verse how the Holy Spirit will function on the worldwide scene. Regarding conviction of sin, Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now regarding conviction of righteousness, Acts 2.1-4, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and, then, and, and there appeared to them... Divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. And regarding conviction of judgment, further on in Acts, therefore let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then we know that they got saved. 